We'll begin in verse 15. The title of this message is Modern Day Preaching. Romans chapter 15, verse 15. Nevertheless, brothers, when I have written more boldly to you on some points, as reminding you, because of the grace given to me by God, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus, in the things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished, through me, in word and deed, to make the Gentiles obedient, in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to Illyricum I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. For as it is written, but to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. Paul is making a statement in verse 15 that he's speaking to the Roman Christians more boldly. He says, I've written to you more boldly on some points. And as we've gone through the book of Romans, I, I think we've seen that, and he's been very specific in certain doctrines about the grace of Jesus and the power of his gospel to set us free from the, the bondage of our chains. But he says in verse 15, because of the grace given to me by God. And what he's speaking of here is his own, first of all, his own salvation, and then his call to preach. He is saved by God, and he mentions that in the end of verse 15 when it says, I have experienced the grace given to me by God. Any, anybody who's going to preach needs to be saved. That's a good point. They need to have experienced God's grace themselves. And then he speaks about the call of God in verse 16. He says that I may be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God. In other words, it is this ministry that God has given him and God has called him to specifically to carry the word of God to the Gentiles rather than the Jews. Not, not only do we have the Jews, the chosen people of God, but we have the Gentiles. That's all the rest of us. We've talked about that word. It's the word ethnos. It means all the other peoples, all the other uh, tribes and languages and races of people coming together. And Paul says, I've been called of God to preach to those everybody else, the Gentiles. I want us to read Paul's story. If you'll turn with me and back and left to your Bibles to the book of Acts. I want us to read this. I didn't even put this on the screen for you because I want you to get this clearly in your mind. Acts chapter 26, it's, it's the call of Paul when he uh, is saved by God and then called by God to, to preach. You remember who Paul was. He was a Jewish man who was persecuting the followers of Jesus Christ, the, the Christians. Paul was tracking them down, putting them in prison, and in some, in some cases having them killed. That's who Paul was. You, if we had an enemy, if you have an enemy, or if we had an enemy against our church who's 
accusing certain men in our church and having certain people arrested and having uh, certain people even put to death. And that was our greatest accuser. That was our greatest attack from this one man. That would be Paul. I want you to get a good thought of that. Paul is their greatest enemy, their greatest accuser before he meets God, before he meets Jesus Christ. And so we're going to start reading Acts chapter 26. Let's start reading in verse 9. Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I would cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them, even chasing them to foreign cities. So stop for just a second. This is Paul before he gets saved. He's very sincere in what he's doing. He believes he's right in what he's doing. And he even believes what he's doing is for God. But what he's doing is he's chasing down Christians, having them in prison, and having them beaten, and having them even executed in some cases. But the reason he's doing this is because he doesn't know Jesus. Look at verse 12. While thus occupied, I journeyed to Damascus with authority and, and commission from the chief priests. At midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And, we, and when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick, kick against the goats. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Let me just stop right there for, for a second. Jesus blinds him with a, a bright light, gets his attention, knocks him to his knees. And then Jesus says, why are you persecuting me, Saul? Notice the, the, the perspective Jesus has. When men are coming after you, Jesus comes to Paul and says, they're coming after him. Do you, do you own that? He sees it as an attack on himself when somebody attacks you. That's good, eh? That's good stuff. Jesus says, why are you persecuting me when they're chasing his followers? Verse 16. But rise and stand on your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness both to the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you, I will deliver you from the Jew, from the Jewish people as well from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. This is Paul's call, verse 18. To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And so Paul's call and his salvation is right here in this passage. He's saved by a, a blinding light from heaven and the words of Jesus calling him to stop chasing Christians and persecuting Jesus. He says it's useless for you to kick against the goads. That's a farming term when, you're, when you were 
when they would drive the plow with large oxen back in the day. I preached a whole message on this one time, Shane. We're showing you. Preached a whole message on this one time. I don't know if he was here yet. About when they would drive the deep plow with two oxen uh, through through the field, they had a long, sharp stick. It was. It, I saw a picture of it once. A, a ridge one they had found. That they had dug up. It was. It was about this big around, and it had a very sharp point on the end of it. And it'd be about ten feet long. And the farmer would carry that stick, and when the oxen would slow up. He'd jab him with it to keep him digging the plow because pulling the plow is the heaviest and hardest weight that they would ever pull. That plow going deep into the soil. And as he's poking them with this stick, the big old oxen would kick as if they're, they're going to stop. But they, they wouldn't stop. They'd keep pulling the plow. And Jesus says, why are you kicking against me, Paul? In other words, you're not going to stop the move of God. One man can come against the move of God. That's not going to stop the move of God. A court decision can come against the move of God. That's not going to stop the move of God. When God decides to move in our country, nothing will stop him. He'll move it in his time with his freedom across the country of the United States of America. So why are they kicking against the goads? And so God calls Paul now to go and preach to the Gentiles. Look what he says in verse 18. To turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, to re receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified. Then look at verse 19 with me. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout the region of Judea, and then to the Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. So this is Paul declaring in Acts verse chapter 26 his salvation and then his call. I think it's uh, proper now for me to do the same for you about myself. I'll first declare my salvation. I was 15 years old. You've heard bits and portions of this all along. And, and if it's repetitive, I'm, I apologize. But that's our story. And I, I tell it more frequent the more I read Scripture. Because I used to feel bad to keep telling my salvation story like it was redundant or you've already heard it. But the more I read Scripture, I see these men of the Bible, that's what they do. They keep telling their salvation story. And the more mature I get in the faith, I realize this. The greatest story any one of you or I have to tell anybody that we know about Jesus is the story about what Jesus did in your life. Y'all know that? And so I was 15 years old. I had not been up, been to church. I had not grown up in church. I didn't know who Jesus was. I didn't know the basic stories of the Bible. And I was living in a pretty hellish home. I could go into details about that, but it was it was dark there. It was I was suicidal. Wanted to take my life at 15, and I was murderous in my heart. I wanted to kill two people. And I started going to church, and I started hearing about God and about salvation, and I started to experience the love of God in my life, not through any particular person, just through God himself speaking to me and, and calling me to be saved. I had three brothers. My three brothers quickly made decisions to be saved and follow the Lord 
and I was stubborn. I'm the stubbornness of the poor. That's what you get. There you go. And I resisted, and I ran, and I fought, and I would cling to my pew, as people will say, not desiring to surrender all to God for some time, for some, some months, literally. I don't know what it is when you're not saved, what we don't want to give up, but there's something we hold on to. We don't even always know what it is. I've asked people before, what are you holding on to? And I think sometimes we legitimately don't know what it is. We just don't want to surrender the authority of our lives to God. I got to the place, though, where it was all I could think about. I need to be saved. It's all I could think about day and night. I started praying to God and asking somebody to tell me how to be saved because I didn't know what to do. What do I need to do? I don't know what to do. And I was praying, Lord, send somebody to tell me what to do to be saved. And finally, somewhere along just picking up the pieces, I realized you just got to call on God and ask God to save you. It's that simple, but yet that huge. <laughs> you just got to get to the place where you're well, ready to give up everything to God and call on God and ask God to save you. I remember the night that I was ready to do that. It was a message preached that I don't remember. You know, a lot of times we give preachers credit when somebody gets saved after they preach, don't we? I remember that night. It didn't matter what that guy preached on. I was going to get saved that night. I came to church ready to get saved, and I was waiting for him to finish so I could get saved. So you could say the longer the preachers preach, they're hindering those people from getting saved. They just be quiet and stop. Somebody might just get saved. Because that's the condition I was in. I was just sitting there waiting for him to stop. And the moment he stopped, I was already in tears and I was already coming, running through the altar of God to, to just cast myself before the feet of Jesus and ask him to save me. I remember that night, I, I actually had just met Cindy. We weren't married yet, but I just met Cindy. And I remember that night telling her my heart had changed and things were different, that I, I didn't want to kill those two people anymore, and I didn't want to take my own life anymore. I wanted to live. That's the power of the Word of God. That's the power of salvation. I've experienced watching that as a preacher. It's the greatest blessing I get to have as a preacher to watch that happen in people's lives. People that, honestly, sometimes I don't think they'll ever get saved. I'm like, no, no. That, that guy, he's, he's, he's hard as a rock. He's not ever going to soften and be saved. But that woman, uh, she's me as a snake. She's never going to get saved. And then I get to watch that happen. I see God step in and do what I saw as impossible. And he, he changes people. He just changes people and makes them different people, different men, different women, different, different young people. I've seen God do that, and, and that's salvation. Almost immediately after I got saved, God began to work on me to be a preacher. It was almost instantaneously, just within a few months. And I fought being saved for a few months. I fought being a preacher for over two years. <laughs> two years I resisted. It was in almost every message I would hear. I would sit there and, and think about am I, am I to be a preacher? Let me say this to you men. I think any godly man who seeks after the Lord at some point will consider if he should be a preacher. At least once. I, I believe that. But that doesn't mean you're called. I think that's just a, a sign of your godliness, of your, of your submission to God. But I, I faced it every message, every sermon. When, when, a, when, a, when I was sitting here preaching, I would be sitting there preaching. I was sitting there 
hearing what was being said and in my own mind preaching even more. And I just didn't want to be a preacher. You know this about me. I, I fought it. I didn't want to be that. I, I still don't. I don't tell people I'm a preacher today. I had a guy yesterday I've known for about four months now. He said, are you a preacher? I said, I felt like my heart sunk like he's got me. He figured me out. I said, yeah, I'm a preacher. He said, cool. I thought, okay, okay, that's all right. But uh, God called me to preach. I didn't ever want to pastor then. I said, okay, I'll preach, but not a pastor. And then, you know, God's made me a pastor. And I don't know. I, I need to quit telling God what I'm not going to do, I guess, because that's what I ended up doing. I once told God when, when this church was started, I told God I wasn't coming here. And you may have heard this story. I was reading through scripture. I was studying the life of David. And the group that had started the church called me and asked me to come here as pastor. I told them no several times. And I finally said, the answer is no. Don't ever call me again and ask me this again. I've told you repeatedly. I'm not coming to be the pastor at my house. Don't ever ask me again. That next morning, God called me from the Word to be the pastor of Lighthouse Church. Very plainly, I could read you the scripture if you want to. It spoke directly to my heart, told me I was supposed to be your pastor. I even think I know for how long. I've never told anybody that time. It might scare you. I've already been here a long time, though, so don't get too scared. But uh, I said, don't ever call me. And then the next morning, God, from his word, told me he wanted me to be the pastor of this church, and I said, Lord, I'm going to ask you to do one more thing to confirm it. I'm going to ask you to have those guys I told never to call me to call me. <laughs> and that night, they called me and said, we just feel led to call you one more time. You know, you told us not to. I said, yeah, I'll be there. I was supposed to be there. I am blessed beyond measure. Don't think because I don't want to be a preacher, I don't know that I'm blessed. I know I'm blessed to be saved and to be called to be a preacher and so uh, I want to just give God glory for that God can God don't call the best men he just called me and he called Paul and he's called me don't you look now with me at the, the preacher's aim Paul makes clear something about preaching here in verse 20 look at verse 20 with me he says, and I have made it my aim to preach the gospel. He uses the word aim. You might want to mark that word in the Bible because that's kind of the, the way you could begin to interpret this passage. I'm going to preach on this same passage again next week, by the way. If you thought I'm getting through a lot of verses today, Chris, don't get excited. I'm, I'm going to tell these verses again. Uh, these, these verses here, if you draw out verse 20 where he says it is my aim, it means that he has a direction in his preaching. There's something that, that Paul is shooting towards or pursuing towards when he's preaching. Now, before I talk to you about his aim, I want to talk to you about the foolishness of preaching because the Bible clearly teaches that it is through the foolishness of preaching that he intends for people to be saved. Think about that for just a second. The foolishness of preaching. Somebody in this day that we live in, standing before other people and just speaking the word of God and pro proclaiming God's word, that's kind of a foolish method. God, it's not my word, that's God's word. He says that's a foolish method. 
1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, I have this on, on your screen there. It says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And so somebody who's running from God can listen to a preached message and say, that didn't mean anything. That's just a bunch of gibberish or foolishness. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. That story of Jesus and his salvation is powerful, transforming lives. Look also at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21 through 25. For since the wisdom of God through the world, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Look at that sentence I underlined there in your notes. Through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. So it's not... It's not that the message is foolishness, it's, the, it's that the method of preaching is foolishness. Do you get that? You might would rather see people get saved through a movie, or through a skit, or you know through whatever method you want, but God's chosen this method through the foolishness of preaching to save people who believe. Let's read on. But we preach Christ Crucified to the Jews a stumbling block, to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And so when I was being called to preach, one of my struggles was how to preach. Preaching is foolishness, and especially in the mountains, there's a different type of preaching in the mountains, and I didn't know how God would want me to preach. And I didn't want to be fake. I wanted to be real. I, wanted, I didn't want to preach in the King James language and, and stand up here and deepen my voice and speak things in King James to try to get your attention. I wanted to just be me and preach normally and talk about what I like and don't like, but more importantly, talk about Jesus from a perspective of being a, a real person. And so God initially gave me a revival ministry where I'd go out and preach revivals to different churches and at one point in my life, I was booked every week of the year to, to preach revivals uh, in different places in, in the United States, and I believe that's what God was calling me to at that point. But in the desire to preach the way God wanted me to preach, before every revival meeting, I would, I would read 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1-5, through 5, and these are Paul's words about preaching. And it was my prayer and my proclamation about how I wanted to preach. Or I didn't want to preach if I couldn't preach this way. And so let me read you those verses. I used to read this every, every service when I was in revival ministry before I'd preach. And I, brethren, when I come to you, do not come to you in excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I am with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching is not with the persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I think preaching, done rightly, will give more credit to the power of God than some man. Preaching, done rightly, will have you going away, not saying... I like that guy. But going away saying, I heard from the Lord today. Preaching done rightly will not have you say, sit there thinking how cool that guy is, but it will have you saying, 
the Lord is in this place today. And that's the desire that I've had since the very beginning. I, I'm not saying I'm perfect, I, I stray at times, but that's the desire and the heartbeat of what I want any preaching that I do to look like. And it is through the foolishness of preaching. Let me just say to you on this point, God's not changed his plan, and he's not going to change his plan no matter how far technology goes. God's plan is and always will be through the foolishness of preaching to save those who believe. It's the chosen method of God. Like it or not, whether or not you like my preaching, find somebody that you do like. It is the chosen method of God of how he's going to spread the gospel through this world is through, let me speak about the word preaching, it means to verbally proclaim. Through verbal proclamation, that's the way that God's going to spread his gospel to the nations and around our country. So the foolishness of preaching. Let's go back to verse 20. This, this point about his aim. Paul has an aim, and I'm going to give you two points here from our passage about the aim, what Paul is striving to do uh, with his preaching. When we talk about aim, I want you to have a good vision of that. Uh, usually when we speak about aim, we, we speak about shooting a gun and aiming a gun. Some years ago, uh, we were at a church dove hunt. That's where you gather around the field during the opening day of dove season, and, and you just shoot doves all day. Now, we eat what we keep, but we, we shoot. the goal was to go shoot doves. And some of you uh, knew Rob Hester. Some of you never knew him and, and don't know who I'm talking about, but he's a guy who used to be a part of our church. And so Rob was there that day, and he's sitting right beside me, and Ronnie... Gillum was there that day, and he was across the field right in front of us, and Ronnie was an excellent shooter, still is. If you shoot a dove, if you've ever went dove hunting, if you, if you barely hit it, one wing still works and one wing don't work, and so a dove will glide sometimes hundreds of yards away, like just glide way out of sight, and you can't get that dove if you don't have a dog to go get it, because this is too far, you'll never get it. That's because it just barely, you know, a shotgun has many bullets. That's fair. It's because it just barely got hit on the outside by one stray bullet out of that shotgun shell. That's wounded. It just wounded a dove. <laughs> but then there's the other shooter who, when he hits the dove, the bulk of his target load of shotgun pellets will hit the dove, and that dove, it, it's flapping its wings and it's flying, and it seems to just fold up. Its wings will come into its side. And it just seems to go, it just stops flying forward and just plummets straight to the ground. That's the way they fall when Ronnie Gillum hits them. I'm just telling you, I've seen it. We sit across the field from him and we'd see him take one shot, fall. When the day was over, we'd go over there and Ronnie's got a little pile of doves where he's, 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 he's not wasting bullets. For every one shotgun shell, he's killing a bird. And it, it birds on the ground and usually falling like right in front of him. Rob Hester, on the other hand, was the other opposite end of this spectrum. And we would we would bring a brick of shotgun shells. It's a brick you could buy it at Walmart, and the brick contains four boxes. And four boxes means uh, uh, there's 25 shells in a box, so that's a hundred shells. That's a hundred shots. Rob went through his box really quick. His hundred shots are gone, and he's now digging into my my shells and he's still not yet killed a bird and we're out there hunting you know i don't know how long it was 
couple of hours or something. At one point, I killed a bird and he claimed my bird. He, he said that was his. So he said he had one, but I don't, I don't even believe that one. I believe I, I shot that one. He didn't have one. So after we finished the day, we go over to Ronnie's side and he's got his pile. There's a bunch of men there. You know, we're asking how many everybody's got and Rob's got his big. He's claiming one, but I'm denied. I say, no, he doesn't have any. So we figure something's got to be wrong with his aim. We got we to gotta figure out what's going on with him. He's, he was left-handed. So we stood up a four by eight sheet of plywood, four feet wide, eight foot tall, put it on the side of the barn, and we get about this far away from here to the back wall, which is not far with a shotgun, if you know anything about a shotgun. We tell, we're all standing around, we say, Rob, just put an X or something in the middle of us. Just shoot the middle of that piece of plywood. Let's kind of see, maybe something's wrong with your gun. Let's see what's going on. He, he sits back, takes aim, and takes a shot. Not one pellet hit that piece of plywood. I'm not making that up. Not one pellet hit a four by eight sheet of plywood. And so we, we had to get him to shoot a couple more times to kind of figure out what he was doing. But because he was left-handed, you know, you put your gun over here, he was closing the wrong eye. You know, if you're right-handed, you close the left eye. If you're right, left-handed, you should close the right eye. But he was he was closing the eye like you're shooting right-handed, but he was shooting left-handed, if that makes sense. So he was... He was kind of doing like this, you know, shooting across his body. So we we got him all straightened out. Made him a great shooter after that day. If you don't know what you're aiming for, you're not ever going to get it. Churches do this wrong. Fathers don't know what they're aiming for. Sometimes moms don't know what you're aiming for. you got to have not only a target, but you got to go after what you're aiming for. And Paul is very clear here. In this passage, that his aim, it says in verse 20, I have made it my aim to preach the gospel. I'd have you circle the word preach and underline the word gospel. Circle the word preach and underline the word gospel in verse 20. He says, it is my aim to preach the gospel. Now look back at verse 16 with me. He says that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering there's the word gospel again. Circle the word gospel. Gospel of God. You see that. And then look at verse 19. He says, In mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit, Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to Illyricum, I have fully, here it is again, preached the gospel of Christ. Circle the word preach, underline the word gospel. Preach the gospel of Christ. So what is Paul's aim here? His aim is preaching the gospel of God. Look back at verse 16, he calls it the gospel of God. In verse 19, he calls it the gospel of Christ. So he's, he's aiming at preaching something specific. And the specific thing he wants to preach is the gospel of God, or the gospel of Christ. It, it means the good news. Literally, that's what it means, the good news. That's what the word gospel literally means. But what is the good news? What is this story of God or story of Christ that is the good news? It is simple. It is the story of Jesus' birth, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, that he died on the cross... For our sins, and, and included in that, the good news part of it is, 
Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the good news of the gospel. If you call upon him, no matter who you are or how bad you've been, if you call upon him, then his death on the cross will wash you cleanse, clean from your sins and make you a new person, make you a new creation. And there's lots of people who believe in God who've not been saved by God. There's lots of people who believe God is real who have never given their life over to God and therefore they've never been saved by God. And so if Paul says, I'm going to make it my aim to preach the gospel of God, here's what he means. I'm going to preach in such a way that I tell the story of Jesus and what he did on the cross so that any old sinful, rotten person can know and believe that they can come to Jesus and call upon his name and be eternally changed by the power of the gospel. That's what he's talking about. So I'm going to make it my aim to preach that Everywhere we, wherever we go. So no matter what we're talking about, I'm going to circle back around to this story of Jesus, the power of God to transform people's lives by his death on the cross. And that's what we'll get back to time and time again. It is my aim to preach the gospel. He says something else is his aim. Look at verse 20. It says, he says, And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel... Not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. Now stop. I'm going to preach where? Not where Christ was named. So he's going to preach to those, this is the next point in your note, who, who have not heard. He's going to make it his aim to preach to those who've never heard before. And then he quotes in verse 21, Isaiah chapter 52, <coughs> verse 15. He says, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. So he says, I'm going to make it my aim to preach to people who've never heard before. That's, that's going to be one of my desires as I go forward. You, you think about your family. You think about your friend circles and people that you know. It's, it's like saying, but he's the most only, ungodly one. That's the most ungodly one I know. Then Paul would say, I'm going to make it my aim to tell them first. You may say, well, that, that guy, he doesn't seem to know anything about God at all. He doesn't know anything about the things of God at all. Paul would say, I'm going to make it my aim to tell them first. I'm going to go after them first. You could say it this way, and this has kind of been the, the mentality of our church since our very beginning. If you didn't know this, I hope you know this. But here at Lighthouse Church, if they don't go to church, we want them. Y'all know this? If they don't go to church, we want them. We want to make it our aim to tell them first who? The ones who don't already go to church. As a matter of fact, if they already go to church, and we believe it to be a Bible-preaching church, a good church, what do you say is a good church? A Bible-preaching church. Do you know that in our, in our time here at Lighthouse, if somebody comes here from a good Bible-preaching church and wants to become a member here, you know what we've done? More than one time. We send them back. That's the truth. We, sometimes they get mad. Sometimes I've had the preacher call me and say, why'd you send them back? But we send them back. We say, we encourage you to go back to that church. We know that pastor. We know that's a good Bible preaching church. We, we encourage you to go back there because of things like this that Paul says. He's making it his aim, his desire, is to, to go tell those who've never heard before. Now look, as far as our church growth is concerned, it's a whole lot easier when somebody just kind of moves into our town, uh, you know, from, from some other state, and they're already saved, 
and they've already been in the church kind of like ours, and they're already loving Jesus and serving Jesus, and they just kind of, uh, Sandy and Stuart, they're, they're my good example of this. They just kind of move in here from another place, and they fall in. They were easy. I mean, I don't mean that mean. I'm, I'm, I'm bragging on you. They were just so easy. They just kind of fall right in and become a part, and they start out serving, and they, they start out just loving Jesus, and Man, that was nice, wasn't it? That's so nice to have somebody fall in like that. But, but that's not our aim. That's not the primary way that's going to happen. Our aim is to find people who don't know the gospel and they don't know Jesus. And we're going we're gonna to do the hard work of telling them about Jesus and the hard work of waiting on God to clean them up. You know what I'm saying? Clean up their language sometimes or clean up their marriage sometimes. Because when people come to God... It's not clean. It's messy. You know that? Their life is not in order or, or they don't need Jesus. They need Jesus because things are a wreck. And so think about your own circles, your family, your friends, your neighbors, people who are not going to church. Preach the gospel to them. I'm encouraging you to do that. That's what Paul says is his aim. I have just two quick points of application. Number one, you are a preacher. Now, that doesn't mean you're called to stand up here and preach in front of the, of the church, but, but you, are, you are called to be a proclaimer of the gospel. I want to have, I wanna, don't do it, but I want to have you raise your hand if you're saved, and then I want to say, if you raise your hand, you're, you're to be a proclaimer of the gospel. Do you all agree with that? If you're saved, you're to be a proclaimer of what God has done in your life. That's, that's something God has put upon you. That's the application from this. I told you my story because I want you to know I want to be just like Paul. And I want you to want to be just like Paul. I want us all to, to strive to proclaim the gospel to people who have never heard. Now, men, speaking specifically to men for just a minute, men primarily know that you are a preacher to your wife. Do you know that? You're to encourage her in the word and in prayer. But more so, you're a preacher to your children. Your children, they're born, they never hear it. They, they're not born Christians. They're not born churchmen. And it is your role as a man of your house to proclaim the word of God to your children. Uh, going on two generations now, we've, we've set aside the men of the household. And we've hired... Hired many times, we call them youth pastors. We've hired young men, sometimes unmarried men who don't even have children, and paid them to tell our children about God. And in so doing, I think in a lot of ways we've lost a generation, at least, if not two. It is not some paid guy's responsibility to tell your children about God, men. As great as that could be, or maybe you desire that, I don't know. You know what I desire? I desire to have a group of men who will tell their own children about the Lord. Not waiting on their wife. Not laying, laying it all at their wife's feet, but take responsibility to make your life and your home the atmosphere where you as the man in your home are proclaiming the word of God and prayer and, and the truth about God to your own children because they don't know. And it's your role to tell them. Maybe your dad didn't do that with you. Mine didn't do that with me. But it's my role to do it with my children and it's your role to do it with your children. They're not going to get enough 
if we met four hours a week, they're not going to get enough at church. And we don't meet four hours a week. But you men can do it in your homes. I encourage you to be a preacher in your home. Now, your objection may be this. When it comes to telling other people at work or other people that, that you know about the Lord, your objection may be, I'm too weak in the Word. Or it's just little old me. I'm just slow, little old me, and I don't really know enough Bible. You know that we live in a generation today that wants big men and big meetings to get God. You know that? We want big men and big meetings to get God. We would rather pay somebody so that we could see it than pray so that we could see it. Y'all know this? We would rather give money so that we could see a move of God than to pray that we could see a move of God. Today we would rather pay and see somebody else perform the things of God than do the things for God ourselves. And all these are not God's preferred way. Our country is primarily full of little men and women just like me and you, little old me and you. You know that? Old country people. The media wants to believe you. You know what you believe is not so, but our country is primarily filled with old country people, simple people, small people. And our country is primarily filled with small churches. Do you know this? We have more mega churches today than we've ever had in the history of our country, but still, mega churches are, are, are less than 2% of the churches in the United States. We don't even have a mega church in our county, but we have. Lots of other churches, small churches, mostly 30 or less. Do you know this? Mostly 30 people or less. And so when you talk about a move of God, we don't need bigger churches. We don't need bigger men. We don't even need more money. We need little people just like me and just like you. And we need little churches just like our church to do what God has told us to do and to go out and tell the good news of the gospel to everybody we know. That's how the move of God is going to happen. I don't want you to think of yourself as insignificant or small, so small that God can't use you. God always uses the small. God always uses the insignificant. And nor is our church too small to be used of God. God always starts his fire in one place and it spreads abroad. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 through 31. For you see your calling, brothers... That not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble or called, but God has chosen the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty, and the base things of the world, to, and the things which are despised God has chosen, and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. As it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. That passage is saying, even no matter how little you are, God wants to use you to spread his name for his glory. If you think you're the one who's in this room who is most insignificant, you may be the one God would use most because in his using you, he gets all the glory. We could say, how did, how did that happen? We know it wasn't him 
He's no cow. And then God would get all the glory. So if you are the most insignificant, unworthy, then you are the most likely to be used of God because it's for His glory. So I want to encourage you. You're a preacher, a person who's to carry your story of what Jesus has done in your life to everybody you know. Number two in application. Preaching happens anywhere. It happens anywhere. It doesn't have to happen on a stage like this. Noah never had a pulpit, but he preached for years. You could say Noah never had a convert. You say, I never told anybody about Jesus and them be saved. Neither did Noah. And he preached a whole lifetime while he built the boat. He was just a woodworker preaching Jesus. And nobody ever got saved, but he kept preaching. That's no excuse just because nobody's ever been saved. Paul preached in synagogues and churches, but he also preached by the river. He preached in, on the mountaintop. Jesus' most famous sermon that he ever preached was on top of a hill overlooking the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is just standing up there preaching to the crowds that are seated beneath, beneath him. Preaching can happen in your house, across your kitchen table, in a restaurant, beside your backyard fence. It can happen out here on the sidewalk, in the grocery store line, in your living room. It can happen as somebody rides down the road in the car with you. Preaching can happen anywhere, at any time, as long as you're willing to have an aim that you're going to be the kind of person who's going to carry the gospel of God to people who do not know Him, you're going to be bold enough to just say it. Now let me just say, preaching has the component of saying it, proclaiming it. You have to say it. Now, I believe in getting to know somebody. I believe in being real before somebody and, and showing them you love them and telling them about Jesus. But there has to come the telling time. There has to come the part where you actually become a proclaimer, where you say it out loud. Jesus is my Lord, and here's what Jesus has done in my life. And as you proclaim it, God's power works to change people's lives. I want to encourage you today to be more vocal and more bold in preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to people who have not heard. Make that your aim. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that those who are here today that you would bring men and women to mind even now. That they're going to go and tell about Jesus. In some way, they're going to speak positively of you. They're going to boldly say that they're on your side and you're on their side and you've changed their life and changed their marriage and changed their home. And Lord, I pray that you would bring, bring encouragement to us when we do this. Let us not be doubtful. Let us not have fear. But let us have courage to speak the name of Jesus to those people that we know until you return. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.